When did I first experience unconditional love? When I surrendered. Mm. And when I surrendered, I had a visceral experience of divine love originating from within me, whose exclusive focus was every aspect of me without exception, not in spite of everything, a wholeness I had never experienced of myself. It was embodied. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and before that, it was something I was chasing. I was seeking it, but then I experienced it. Hello, Seeker. Welcome back. As you can tell from that clip that gives me goosebumps, you are in for a treat today. So today I'm sitting down with Ken W. Stone. He goes by the Soul Archaeologist, and Ken helps people to experience, embody, and integrate the magic of divine presence. Ken is a spiritual messenger, author, and healer, and this is what we're talking about today, the magic and experience of divine presence. So it's hard to put into words everything we, we cover in this episode. It is so powerful. Ken holds such a powerful energy, and if you listen all the way to the end, I have a total breakthrough moment. The energy gets very intense in such a medicinal healing way. I know it's going to move you. This is going to be so powerful. So we're talking about experiencing the divine, what that means for us, creating our unique relationship, what it means to experience, embody, and really live in integration with the magic of the divine presence. He also covers things around surrender and shares powerful stories on his journey of how these things actually played out in his life, how his gifts were turned on, his healing abilities were turned on, and just shares such a powerful, potent message with us today. It was an honor to have him on the show. I know you're going to love this episode, so let's get to it. Without further ado, let's welcome Ken W. Stone onto the show. Hey Seeker, welcome to the Awakening Her podcast. I am so grateful that you've been led here and I'm excited for you that you're answering the call to manifest more magic in your life by mastering the law of attraction. So cool. My name is Talia and I'm committed to cutting the fluff and showing you exactly how to manifest more excitement, ease, success, abundance, confidence, love, and anything else you've been craving. So if you're ready to crack the code on manifestation, amplify your intuition and play in the quantum. We are now besties. Let's do this. Hello, Ken. Welcome to the show. I am so excited for this conversation. How are you doing today? I'm excited to be with you. I'm doing great. How are you doing, Talia? I'm doing so good. So you just said you were in Colorado. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, Northern you're, Colorado. Nice. So you're saying the weather changes constantly. What is it like right now? <laughs> well, if I look over the camera, it looks like the sun might be coming out, but there are supposed to be thunderstorms. Who knows? Yeah. Give it a few minutes. Okay, maybe a little both. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am so excited for this conversation. Um, so for the listeners li listening, the listeners listening, the audience, anyone who hasn't heard of you before, can you just describe a little bit about what you do, if that's even humanly possible? Um, and um, yeah, just your business, what you do, how you help people. Well, I would say for me, it really comes down to kind of one core thing, just 
an experience. So I, when I became aware of my spiritual gift or the manner in which divinity expresses through me, I can't say it's really mine, <laughs> although that's a more simple way to talk about it. I began to realize that something was going on in terms of people encountering divinity on their own terms, meaning in the context of their beliefs and their experience. So over time, I've become really comfortable with the idea that one of the things that God does through me is support people in having a deeper experience of the divine within their body, within their being. And that's usually the place we start. And then it branches out in all sorts of beautiful ways, because of course, that experience uh, begins to express in lots of different ways. People discover their gifts, they discover their deeper purpose, their mission, uh, discover manner in which they interact with other people, and all sorts of other stuff starts to come up to the surface and be integrated. And ultimately, it can lead people in a really fulfilling um, place. Mm, that's so beautiful. I would like to hear a little bit about how you got started in this. And then my follow-up question is why the body? Why do you think that that's so important? Mm. And how did you kind of come to that conclusion? Well, you know, the way I got started um, was uh, in resistance. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was making my living as a mortgage lender and I was reading the paper one morning and there was going to be a talk that afternoon or that evening here in Fort Collins where I live. And the talk was world peace through inner peace. And I thought, well, that makes a lot of sense. I'd love to go. And so I went to that talk and the person who gave that talk was this really extraordinary human being. You just looked at him and you smiled. You felt something profound from him. And I went up to him afterwards, and I can't remember the question I asked him, but he, and I'm six foot five, so I'm a big person, and he was not so big. So he was kind of looking up at me as he was answering the question that I asked. And then he gave me the best man hug of my life, and I'm a hugger, so that's a big deal, the best man hug. And then he said, uh, would you like to learn how to meditate? And why don't you come? We've got a class going on. So I learned to meditate, and this was in the summer of 2007, in August of 2007. And I had never meditated before. I was for sure a, a type A control freak. My assistant in my mortgage practice, after I learned to meditate, started calling me Zen Ken because I was, comparatively speaking, so much more calm. And the next month, I went to an in-residence meditation retreat with the same organization, and while I was there on the last day, a person with whom I was randomly paired um, wrote on a piece of paper, you should be working as a healer. And I started sobbing uncontrollably, even though I didn't know what the word healer meant. And that was the beginning of the rest of my life. So, you know, um, I hired him for an intuitive session a couple of days after Christmas 2007, because my life felt like it was kind of blown apart. and. I wanted to know, is my life going to turn out? And all he wanted to talk about, and he he goes into trance, so his voice is altered, which again made me cry. I don't know why. All he wanted to talk about was healing, healing this, healing that. And I'm thinking, I don't care about healing. I want to know, you know, is my life going to work out? So I came out of that um, conversation, that session with kind of three directives that I heard him give me. You know what you're doing. Just go do it. You don't need to be trained. 
And actually, after he wrote on a piece of paper in September, he told me, you've done this in many prior lifetimes, and this is more natural than breathing for you. I mean, I thought he was nuts. I thought he should go to a psych ward or something. Truth be told, even as I was crying as he's saying these things. So so I, I laid my hands on somebody's head, first of January 2008, and their migraine went away, and my hands and feet started buzzing. And I was sort of taken back, and, and that was, yeah, life started changing pretty rapidly. So every moment going forward from there. That is an incredible story. Why do you think that so many people come to this place through resistance? And I might even say everybody just in the work that I've seen, but even someone like you, and I can think of clients like that, where it feels like overnight gifts are turned on where you're Mm -hmm. going, I don't have any gifts. Then if you were to fast forward 10 years, you're knee deep in gifts, helping people activate theirs. So what is that? What do you think that is on a soul level, personal level, soul growth level, whatever, that has someone be able to turn on not just their divine consciousness, but like their healing gifts, their ability to go like, I'm a healer. Because I've heard that from a lot of clients where mediums or whoever will say you're a healer. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, I see that energy for sure. And it's almost like we're waiting for you to, you're waiting for you to get online. So what do you think that is? I don't know. That's an interesting question. You know, I think part of it must be that, um, well, I don't know how other people feel about this, but I can say for sure, I had a very different idea about my life. And um, interestingly enough, I had um, I had watched the movie The Secret about a year before this all happened. And I had watched the first edition that has... Um, Esther Hicks in it. I don't know if you're familiar with that version of it. That was the first version. And I was totally skeptical about channels. I thought it was a bunch of hogwash. And so I thought, you know, I studied philosophy in college. So I thought, okay, there's some philosophical foundation for this. She's just parroting this stuff. Like I was really not, not buying any of this. So I went and did a bunch of research and I ended up with uh, Charles Honnell's book, the master key system. And, um, and in it, if you're familiar with it, it's an extraordinary book about visualization. And so I started reading and doing those exercises in about April of 2007. And spontaneously, this question started coming in, what is my purpose? And I don't know where it came from. It wasn't in Honnell's directions. Okay, so now the guy says this, I'm in resistance. Okay, so why the resistance? You know, it's like there's we, we're having these two experiences. I'm, I'm wondering if this resonates with you. We're having these two experiences. One of these experiences is our whole self, it's our divine self, the divine expression as. And probably all of us, no matter how much of the other experience we're having, which I think of as the separate self, but it's just the unintegrated whole self. It's not actually separate. It's just an illusion. But the whole self, when we have experiences of that, it's just like, just amazing. You know, it's just total flow. And the separate self is thinking things have to be a certain way, or I need them to be a certain way. Or there's a lot of if then kind of logic, you know, if this happens, then this can happen then, then, then. Well, none of this stuff was an if then. (laughs) And I couldn't deny that I was having a visceral experience of something. I was sobbing. I think the resistance was my separate self saying, 
I don't know if we're ready yet, but the separate self never thinks it's ready. I mean, the way it gets enlivened in all of us is the stuff hits the fan. You know, we get our buttons pushed, right? So one way that we experience that is we resist. And so for sure, I resisted. I mean, for two and a half years. But that resistance is almost like how we peel back the beautiful treasure underneath. It's it's like if we don't peel it back, we can't get down to the nitty gritty goodness, the whole self that isn't yet integrated. And in that experience, as I look back on it, I mean, I was concurrently having an experience of my separate self resisting and my whole self expressing this incredible gift that I had no idea where the heck it was coming from. It just was. And that was the perfect mix for me because there was no denying uh, what was happening. I mean, I, I did another session with a guy I had been a roommate with at, on the retreat. He had all these medical problems, um, been to Eastern and Western medicine, blah, blah, blah. Nobody could resolve it. Uh, he called me up randomly one day in the spring of 2008. And he says, hey, what are you doing? And I said, hey, are you sitting down? Because apparently I'm a healer. <laughs> and he says, can you find it in your heart to heal me? I'm like, man, there's nothing to find in my heart. And I have no idea what's going to happen anyway. I mean, this is just this weird experiment for me. Well, we did a session like right then spontaneously. We weren't even on the phone. He's sitting on his dock at his lake in the Midwest somewhere. I'm here in Colorado. And we do this session. It takes us two weeks to connect afterwards. And it turns out he's describing all these profound physical healings that happen within 24 hours. And he describes the entire experience as the deepest spiritual experience of his life. And this is a guy who hung out with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi in the 70s. I mean, wow. And and the thing is, like, I I was there for the session. And I so I'm I'm like, that's the deepest spiritual experience of your life. Like, how I mean, that will just blow your circuits out. You know, that what that did for me is just go, you have no idea, Ken. Whatever you think is true, whatever you think you're capable of, or however you think the world operates, you don't have a clue, man. And I resisted. I fought with that for quite a while, but ultimately, you know, it brought me to, to surrender. It brought me to let go of the idea that I was in control of my life. And so I, I guess resistance is, is a mechanism or a, it's participating in that process of suffering mm-hmm. that none of us like, but is so essential for us mm-hmm. to really come to, or at least that's how it feels to me. Mm-hmm. essential, not like we have to suffer. It's that mm-hmm. each of us suffer in exactly the right ways for us to integrate. It's like we do what we need to do to integrate mm-hmm. and come to that experience of our whole selves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a, it's a head scratcher, you know, when you go mm-hmm. through that and I feel like I'm still going through it, you know, mm-hmm. I think I've got something figured out and then I'm in session with a client, something happens. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. I thought I knew what this was all about. And here's another totally unexplainable thing unfolding. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think that part of, in my perspective with the struggle, as you said, we don't have to struggle, but it's like we're given, and you just kind of said this, we're given the perfect struggle for what we came here to learn and how we came here to evolve. So I've observed that people have at least usually one or multiple big struggles in their lives. And 
it's, it's hard because we look and we go, well, why, why do I have this? And they don't, I'm a good person. I meditate or, you know, why do I have this? And why haven't I found the love of my life? And they have, or why haven't, but you were given the perfect struggle for what you came here to learn. And in the struggle, this is something I'm seeing so much more clearly in the last couple of years, months, even bedded, embedded perfectly within the struggle is the medicine to burst you forward. So I use this example. There's a lot of women listening, and I'm sure this happens with men as well. If you look in the mirror and you go, oh, I look old or I look fat or I look this, that struggle of like, oh, I hate my body. In that struggle is the blessing of unconditional love, of seeing yourself through the lens of source is how I call it, or source colored glasses, of self-acceptance, of surrender, of maybe even taking responsibility, healing your inner child, whatever it is, it's all within that moment where you go, oh, I just hate my body or, you know, whatever example it is. And I see it so clearly now where I'm like, ooh, this is the medicine showing itself. And I, I get this message from my spirit team where they're like, listen, we can't just drop a sign from the sky because even when we do, you guys discount it and go like, oh, it was a crazy coincidence, but maybe not. We literally have to show you through life experience. We have to get you to wake up and sometimes dropping you to your knees or being filled with resistance is the place that you finally go, okay. I'm open source. I don't know the answers. Lead me, show me. We like release a little bit in those rock bottoms, whatever that is. And it's not that we have to, but they kind of, they're saying right now, they're like, that is such a good teaching tool. Nothing gets you to move like panic, despair, anxiety. It will sort of bring you to that higher ground eventually if you, when you allow it to, but we don't have to let ourselves get there. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on that and how you interpret that. Yeah, you know, um, one of my, one of the questions that I like to ask people when we're talking about suffering or how they're sort of fed up with suffering is, I mean, who really chooses to suffer? I don't think anyone does, right? None of us consciously say, consciously, yeah, I'm going to go do some suffering. But all of us in some way, likely, right now in some part of our lives, whether we're aware of it or not, are probably suffering a little bit. And if we looked at it, I'm going to guess it distills down to this kind of dynamic. I'll just play this out with myself. Hey, Ken, you know, this thing you're doing, the X, Y, and Z, how do you think that's going to work out? <laughs> and, and I'm, my response is going to be, well, of course it's, it's going to be very effective. It's, it's going to result in a great outcome. Okay. So, um, but would you say that's how things are right now? Or, or would you say that's that you're not happy with how things are and you want them to be different? Oh no, I want them to be different. Okay. Well, all right, let's let, let's set that aside for a minute. Let's go back. Look at the last 10 years. Every time you wanted things to be different than they were and you started doing the X, Y, and Z, what happened? Well, sometimes I'm proud to tell you it did really change. Okay, so do you feel like you suffered in those cases? No, wait, maybe. <laughs> and see, it's like, we never know as it's mm -hmm. unfolding. We always think, well, this is the time I'm going to get this over on it, right? Or, or it worked out that one time. And then we discount the fact that when it worked out, 
it wasn't as fulfilling as we wanted it to be and so on and so forth. And so I think suffering is optional, but the thing is it's only optional once we've surrendered, mm-hmm. once we have actually let go of control. It's only optional once it really is, in other words, because until it's optional, it's not in the sense that we're still integrating those aspects of the separate self or the as yet unintegrated whole self that haven't come home yet. They're still running around thinking I'm disconnected. I'm not connected to myself and so on and so forth. And then somebody says something, something happens in our life. We get our buttons pushed. We think, oh my gosh, I'm super triggered right now. Here's how I think of those things when they happen to me now, based on, you know, my journey over the last 15 years. Oh, good. Here's another aspect of my separate self that's being animated because it's ready to integrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it takes me a few minutes to remember that because maybe I'm a little, uh, you know, caught up with it. Yeah. But so to me, the mechanism of that suffering is just, it's helping us remember and experience what is real by banging our heads against the mm-hmm. thing that isn't real and efforting to resolve the illusion, which mm-hmm. is unresolvable. And as we engage with that experience, we begin to more completely experience ourselves as we are, but only once we let go of control. It's this beautiful paradox. Oh my goodness. Everything in me right now is like, my eyes are watering. I'm just like, yes, this is the stuff. Sometimes I sit outside, I'm like talking to my husband and he's starting to glaze over. He's a seeker, but I go so deep. I'm like, we're just spirit experiencing itself. And imagine, I'm just like, this is what I want to talk about all day. Cause this to me is the stuff that really matters. And it's what's real. This to me is reality way more than the matrix and the bank account and the details and the stats, you know, this is just so real. So, oh, I just love this so much. Um, I would like to touch on the body aspect and why you feel, yeah, no worries. This has been so great. (laughs) Um, but why do you feel that coming home into your body? And I just want to say, first of all, is that I've personally, and I know my listeners can really relate. So maybe you can kind of speak to this. I've always been really sensitive. I've always been, um, you know, I was getting smudged before I went to grade one. My mom was kind of a hippie. I grew up in that Hmm. reality and I've been, it's so much easier for me personally to be in the energetic trust and faith is actually, I'm not saying solid I've work left to do, but that's easier for me than being in my physical body. Mm-hmm. It's so tough. I've also suffered from chronic pain since I was 12 that mm-hmm. no one's ever been able to tell me what or why. So the body has been so hard and I can go to intuition and what does my spirit team think? But like coming home has mm-hmm. been a piece in this last year that has been like, bing. And I know a lot of my clients as well. Why is being in the bar- body tough? And why do you feel that it's actually the pathway to this divine presence to the divine that you're speaking of? Well, okay. So, I mean, two answers to that, right? One is both are experiential, but one of them is an experience that just kept happening spontaneously when I was working with people and I didn't really understand what was going on. So in the fall of 2010, I had this download that I refer to as beneath the sand, which was sort of like, I had been asking all summer, all right, God, give me something to teach here. I got to have something to talk about. Like I'm ready to stop being a mortgage lender. I want to try to make my living this way. This is feels so compelling. And I thought, you know, I need a program about money, all the, all the consciousness amplifiers. I thought I was going to get that in terms of, you know, here's the program. Here's this. And it's that. an eight week thing. Yeah. yeah whatever. Modules. And so, right. And so the thing was, I didn't, 
I had basically no language to that point. So people would do sessions with me and they'd be totally silent. I wouldn't say anything. They wouldn't say anything. Maybe they'd hear me make a noise on the other of the phone because air is coming out of my body spontaneously or whatever. But it's not like we're having a conversation. People call me up and they'd say, hey, so-and-so says I should do a session with you. And I'd be like, okay, and what's going to happen? I don't know. You're going to have an experience of divinity in your body. And they'd be like, oh, that's a book I'd love to read. And I'd say, someday, I don't know. You know, right now I got nothing to say about that. It's just, let's have the experience. Okay, so Beneath the Sand comes in. And Beneath the Sand, I mean, just the distilled is, it showed me not just the cosmology, the understanding of sort of causality and the mechanism of wholeness, but it showed me how to facilitate a visceral experience of wholeness Mm. for an individual or a group. And when I saw it, it was so simple. I literally said out loud in the middle of a session with a client that had nothing to do with the download, by the way, that's it. Like it was like, (laughs) okay. So then I start doing beneath the sand with clients. I take them through. It takes about three sessions. All these miracles are happening. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. The kind of healing that's going on jaw dropping, et cetera. So then I think, okay, well now I need to teach this as a class because if people want this, I got to make this stuff available. So I teach it as a class, I record the class and now people can get in and do the self-study. So now people are starting to do that it's maybe six or eight months later. And I'll get these emails and I'll say, hey, I, I was doing Beneath the Sand and it was really amazing for the first couple of weeks. And then it just wasn't as effective. And I mean, this is back at the beginning. I had all sorts of time. So I'd be like, all right, let's just get on the phone. Let me just connect in energetically. Let me see what's going on. And I'd connect in with them. And I'd be like, oh, it's because your energy's up in your head. You're not in your hips. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what am I talking about? <laughs> like, I guess when I, the first thing that happens when I'm working with somebody is their energy goes from the top of their head and just drops into their hips. And I didn't even know it. I did. I had no conscious awareness of it. And so, and then they'd be like, well, what is, what is this? And I'm like, well, your soul's embodying. And they're like, okay, well, tell me more about soul embodying. I was like, I guess I better teach some soul embodiment first. And that needs to come before beneath the sand. Okay. So that's how it began was if you're in your hips, you can have a visceral experience of wholeness. If you're not in your hips, it doesn't happen. So your soul needs to be embodied. So then now I'm doing all this work with all these people. And I begin realizing when people are cut caught in trauma cycles or dealing with, you know, trying to resolve barriers, things that have them stuck, et cetera. What I start noticing is that if they're feeling whatever's coming up associated with that trauma without, they don't even have to talk about it. And they're in their hips. It transmutes like that. And I even had a number of clients where that happened, where people were processing trauma, and I didn't even know what it was. In fact, in one case, this woman was saying, I don't want to talk about this, and I don't want you to know what it is. And I said, I have no clue what it is. I could just tell there's some noise going on. I was working on knee pain. She couldn't figure out what it had to do with whatever the trauma was. And I was like, I can't explain it. I have no idea. Like, it's just happening. You know, we're just doing this thing. So when people would go through this soul embodiment process, consciously, all this stuff would become enlivened. These these sort of dormant traumas that maybe they weren't even consciously aware of. Maybe they were from other lifetimes. Who the heck knew where they were coming from? So then I started working with that. And I started realizing if people can express 
feel expressed, could be pain, could be emotional, whatever, without becoming identified Mm -hmm. with the story Mm -hmm. or the feeling, just be in the raw while they're in their hips, which everyone goes into their hips when I work with them. It's just like, like, Ken, what happens when, when God works through you? People drop into their hips. They, their soul and bodies. That's just going to happen. It's just naturally. It doesn't even matter if we're focused on it or not. So once they did that and allowed themselves to feel or express, I mean, this stuff just disappeared. It was like a bonfire, just burn up this old wet log that was smoldering on the fire for decades or lifetimes. All of a sudden, boom, it's gone. And in the case where they were consciously aware of the trauma, it's not like they lost their memory of it, but no charge around it whatsoever. I remember working with a guy who had complex PTSD, formal diagnosis, war uh, war zone deployments, on and on. I mean, whatever his story was, I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm just saying the details don't matter for our conversation. He went through this process with me, and then he hit all his anniversaries. I mean, he was like, he had an, a dysfunctional life, physically, emotionally, on every level. We went through this together and then did beneath the sand, poof, all the stuff is gone. Mm. So why the body? It seems to me that the body is, in some places, it's like the metaphorical representation of the energetic markers of all the things that we've gone through. And to your point, they're not problems. They're the medicine. Like you said, they are the answer. They're the pathway to our integrated whole self. Mm -hmm. But until we have an effective way of addressing or transmuting those things, they become barriers. They stop us. And as we descend, as the soul descends, it animates everything in the body. And when it gets down into the hips, instead of like a Christmas tree being lit up layer by layer, it's like the sun a million times over. I mean, the the power of an embodied soul in somebody's being is extraordinary. I mean, people talk about, you know, Eckhart Tolle wrote the book, The Power Now. Mm-hmm. How do you experience the power now? You embody your soul. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you open up to the miraculous, extraordinary divine presence? You embody your soul. So to me, I mean, I can't even fathom how it could happen without the body. Here's another kind of myth. Most people think the most profound experiences happen out of the body in a disembodied state. I leave my body and then I'm free. But when I get to work with them, they begin discovering in the body are the most extraordinary experiences that are available Mm -hmm. because they're integrated. They're actually happening inside or in the context of the vessel of this thing that apparently is the limitation, but it turns out is the animated expression of divinity. It's such an extraordinary dynamic. All right. I'm blab blanching on you, but there it is. Why the body? I've got that. Like, yes, this is all I want to talk about again. Look, um, yeah. And also the body has the senses. The body is what experiences pleasure. The body Mm. is what everything is run through. So we could have a very powerful visualization, but when you bring it into your body and you're embodying gratitude or just this present moment, and you're right here and you're listening and you're sensing and you're smelling and you're just right there it feels like that's our maximum experience. When you said like, it can't really happen any other way. We could have epiphanies and go, whoa, I just realized this or um, a visitation or a plant medicine ceremony that we see something, but it's when it gets embodied, 
that the miracle happens. The other day I was talking to a client and her spirit team was just showing me how her self-worth has gone from a concept in her head into an action in her body. And I saw it exactly like you said, I saw it drop down and she's like, I don't know why I just feel different. I'm just effortlessly making different decisions. I'm like, worthiness and appreciation for yourself has gone from something up here to down into your heart, down into your body, and maybe even to your hips. Right. So I, I, that's so fascinating. Um, because we can't pretend that our spiritual experiences don't happen in the body. We're not getting the memo source. Exactly. Is like, you're a body with a spirit inside on purpose, dude. You're not supposed to just exactly. be in the cosmos. You're supposed yeah. to be here living, feeling God here oh, now. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I, Look, I'm, you could see me, like, I'm just ready to like, you know, explode, jump up and down. It's what you're talking about is such a critical opening for people because the thing is that, and for anyone who's thinking, okay, but what is this embodiment thing? Like, think about it this way. Uh, okay. If we have lots of moms, before you gave birth the first time, you had an intellectual idea of what it would be to hold your newborn baby. Maybe you talked to other moms, you read books, but it wasn't embodied until you held your newborn baby. You had an experience of it. And that experience was totally different than the idea. Mm -hmm. Or if you haven't had a, a baby, think of the first time you made love with your beloved. Mm -hmm. um, think of sitting with a loved one as they transition out of their body for the first time. These embodied experiences stand apart from any other kind of knowledge. They are a special class. And those classes of knowledge, they're the intersection between an idea and whatever knowledge comes with it and the experience of it. And in my vernacular, I call that embodied knowledge. Mm. So when we have embodied knowledge of divine presence, it's not an idea. It's a visceral experience in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And my experience of it is probably different than anyone else's. And it's essential in my view that I be able to honor that for myself. But I'm saying that less for me than for each of us, right? Mm -hmm. So like if I'm leading a circle and somebody says, well, here's what's going on for me. And somebody else says, well, I'm not having that experience. I gently remind everyone we're all having our own experience. What matters is the embodied experience you're having. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I don't want to get too carried away with this, but it's to me, this is, this is the whole thing right here. Yeah. Yeah. Because so much of the time, and we're also programmed not to, you know, like underestimate our programming as a society to be in our head, to think logically, to, you know, think about it, to make sense of it, to have the facts lined up before we trust or believe or act, whatever, from the time we're young, even the separation of like, you're Ken, I'm Talia, you know, our mom or whoever our caregivers going like, you're them and I'm me. And, you know, yes, sure. But we're not we're just taught to critically think, to separate, to use the brain first. So when we get into our body, it really sounds like that's where maybe even that's where we can experience source. 
that just kind of came to me, which is probably what you're For saying. Sure. We can exactly. know of source, like we can know of love. We can know of a mango, <laughs> but when we eat a mango or we experience love, we experience source through the body. Otherwise it's just an idea. I hear you. I see what you're saying. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So for example, like I can tell you definitively, I wanted, I, my core wound is unconditional love. I had never experienced unconditional love. I have the idea that that's true for everyone, but it doesn't matter what I think. And I certainly don't want to commit Freud's error and project my thing all over everyone else. Right. So, okay. So unconditional love. When did I first experience unconditional love? When I surrendered. Mm. And when I surrendered, I had a visceral experience of divine love originating from within me, whose exclusive focus was every aspect of me without exception. Not in spite of everything a wholeness I had never experienced of myself. Mm -hmm. It was embodied. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and before that, it was something I was chasing. I was seeking it. Mm -hmm. But then I experienced it. And then, and since it is anchoring and integrating and embodying on a deeper and deeper level, and the experience of that love is not an idea, but there are plenty of ideas that come from it. It influences my thinking and my behavior and so on. But the embodied experience of it is foundational. And that's my work. My work is about supporting the embodied experience of divinity mm. within the being. And when we have that encounter inside, then there's, there's, the, there's the space of freedom. There's the space of safety. There's the space of creativity. It's not dependent on anything out here. It's always available. It's always within me. It doesn't matter where I am or what's going on in my life. Mm -hmm. It's a resource because it's embodied. Yeah. And I love how that doesn't have anything to do with what God you pray to. It's not like if you have the right God, then you can experience this. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not, you're not even saying anything about that. You're saying like divinity embodied, feeling that presence of unconditional love in every cell of your body, unconditional, no conditions, not like, I love me, even though I'm thinning hair, even though I've, I'm this age, it's like, no, I just love me because I am a piece of source and I just am unconditional love. Um, and that has nothing to do with God or which God, I mean, it is everything to do with God, but less about which God or what you're, what you're praying to. Yeah. It makes it possible to sit in a circle with people of radically different beliefs and perspectives and have a profound common experience that's yeah. entirely individual to mm -hmm. each person in the circle mm -hmm. and to resonate to, um, to feel that physically in our being, but not as the result of an idea or an emotional feeling, but in the same way that when you hold a newborn baby, it, it affects you at the very core of your being. Mm -hmm. It's like holding peace or something, you know, it's like somebody says to you in that moment, 
What is the tangible experience of holding your newborn? What is it? Is it a peace that surpasses language? Is it a love? I mean, it's, it's impossible to even say. Language doesn't even apply anymore. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's fun to, I mean, I obviously I'm enjoying our conversation. It's enormously fun to, to connect with you and sit with your community and so on. And the experience of what we're talking about, I mean, this is just beyond, it's so exquisite. And from my perspective, essential, like once we have that as a resource in our lives, everything else changes, Mm -hmm. everything else changes. We can be confronted with a dynamic where we're triggered and something of that as yet unintegrated whole self is enlivened. And there's a resource now within us that can help transmute that. It has nothing to do with trying to think about it differently. It's a way of unwrapping that gift and realizing what it really is. An exquisite, undistorted expression of divinity as me now becoming part of me because I got triggered. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's the only way it happens. You know, it's so, it's incredible. It's such a gift. I feel these days when I'm triggered, I authentically, I'm going, I'm so grateful this came up. Mm. I'm so grateful that, you know, I thought I was done healing this thing, or I Mm -hmm. thought I'd move through, like, I'm so grateful that came up. And that was something I thought that people would say just to sort of spiritually bypass, just to be optimistic and be like, I'm so glad that I'm suffering, but I see it in such a different light. It is truly a gift. And, um, Oh, I just love that you said that it's so, it's so true. And it is about that experience and you can't describe it until you feel it. And it, sometimes we need our brain to get us there. Like you hear certain people talk and it sparks your heart a little bit and it lights up your cells a little bit and it buzzes you and you go, wait a minute, well, what if this, and it, it can start in the intellectual it can start in the mind being inspired, which is in spirit. We can get inspired, but then when you feel it, that's the place that transcends what Tony Robbins or this book said, or your friend said, it's like, that's the place that you actually feel it. And you go, Whoa, this is, this is different. And I also think I'd love to know your thoughts on this. When we start to touch on, I think the fraction of unconditional love that is actually like when we transcend over, I think there's so much more than we can even perceive. But when we kind of get our little bit of that, and we feel that bliss and we feel that just that presence and just beautiful. We also start taking other people off the hook because we start realizing like, I've been actually approving of you when you act the way I want you to act. I'm loving this person more. I'm giving you when you act how I want you to act. And so we kind of start releasing that too, and not expecting other people to be perfect to, cause we know now of unconditional love what that actually means. And we don't, we can kind of start, stop holding people to some sort of standard of perfection we invented or holding their quote unquote faults against them or whatever. So do you find that, that it just bleeds out into your relationships to be able to emanate that because now you are that in a much deeper way. And so now you can reflect that back out into the world. Yeah. I mean, the, the way that I think about this is, um, To me, we're all spiritual messengers, right? To me, a spiritual messenger is one who is consciously aware of the role of divine presence in their interactions with others in the natural world. And so to me, the fully integrated spiritual messenger is an embodied messenger who is 
one who shares divine expression in, through, and as them merely by their presence. So no words need be spoken. Nothing needs to be said. The gift is simply in the presence. And so if you want to think of it this way, underneath all of the layers of the manner in which we interact with each other psychologically and our personalities, there's this carrying wave of divine presence. And when we embody that and become that embodied messenger, that carrying wave of divine presence is intertwined with everything we say, everything we create, everything we do. And so that unconditional love then is present there, even if we're not speaking of it. Mm. It's like we were talking, you know, earlier. My perspective is that divine presence in me enlivens divine presence in those with whom I get to sit in session. So I'm not sending anything to them. I don't have anything that they don't have. It's already there. It's just mm -hmm. enlivened. And what is at the core of that enlivenment? Unconditional love. Mm -hmm. And not just because that was my core wound. I mean, like, what is it that we're all trying to create, you know, in separation? I want to cause this to happen. If I put this money in my bank account, or I have a private jet, or I have this car, or this house. What is it? What is the thing that we're trying to connect to that? Well, that is there all the time, no matter what. <laughs> and what we discover is, even when I do these things, if I don't have that experience all the time, it's not there either. Yeah. But if I have it all the time, it's there all the time, no matter what I have. It's like, you know? what? God isn't on the private jet? <laughs> like, what the hell? I was, I, I was promised this. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a private jet, I guess. I'm just saying... God doesn't come uniquely through the private jet. God doesn't mm -hmm. come through the dollar bill. God doesn't come through the health. It's divine presence is always there. Mm -hmm. And however the expression is beyond that, at least in my view, those things are byproducts. Yeah. Yeah. That is incredibly powerful. Wayne Dyer says that something loosely around like, you know, we, we think that money is going to solve our problems, but if you're miserable now, you're just going to be miserable in slightly more luxurious surroundings is what he says. And I picture myself on this fancy ass couch being like, I hate my life. Like that's not actually what we're looking for. We're looking to feel that support, that abundance in the true essence of the word, not just money, but that, that flourishing, that presence, that love and that's what we're thinking that those things will give us. And I love how beautifully you say that. It's like, but if I had the money, but like, seriously, I wouldn't stress so much. It's like, I bet you, you would. You just might find instead of your bills, now it's something else you're stressing about, or it might still be money. It's surprising how you can always find a way yeah. to be stressed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people talk about, you know, money lessons, but at least in my view, money lessons are always unique because money is just a consciousness amplifier. So mm -hmm. my money lessons are about my consciousness mm. and what's, what's integrating for me mm -hmm. and yours might be very different from mine. Just mm -hmm. like the thing I need to surrender and let yeah. go of control on is maybe other people would be like, I want Ken's thing. Maybe we could swap, Yeah, <laughs> but you know, the thing I need to surrender and the path to get there is my unique path. 
That's why I always laugh. It's like, this is the mantra that will change everything. This is the exercise that will make you have this much money. This is the, I'm like, okay, even if it was some big pivotal, pivotal, hang on, a big impactful, let's go with that, journal prompt for someone that just blew their mind open. Do you really think that is the secret for every single person walking this earth is this one gratitude prayer or whatever, you know, it's like, there's lots of tools, but they're all leading you back to that divine presence. And as you just said, your tools, your lessons, your learning, your path is going to be different. Even then people who grow up in the same class as you, same type of religious or non-religious background, males, this age, like your, your path is wildly different than anybody around you. And that's what we have to start to see is just because that person achieved a certain thing by 30 or this person, you know, found their soulmate or this person, it doesn't mean, first of all, that we can't eat either or, but that our paths are the same, you know, because that person struggles with something that you maybe have moved through, or you didn't have that as a struggle. And they did. It's like, we just can't compare journeys because our journeys just are so incredibly different. Um, I would love to touch on before we wrap up here, you have mentioned surrender a few times, and (laughs) I love talking about this. My clients ask me all the time, like, I know I hear you talk about it. I've listened to your episodes, but like, how do I actually, what do I do? What are the five (laughs) steps of surrender? So I just would love to hear your perspective on surrender, especially because you shared the story of once I surrendered, everything basically (laughs) changed. So what does that mean? And give us your seven tangible steps. No, I'm just kidding. What is surrender to you? (laughs) Someone once called me up from the Middle East and said, I want your surrender program. And I said, I don't have a surrender in a box program. (laughs) I I can teach you soul embodiment in a box. I can teach you beneath the sand in a box, but surrender is going to be your individual journey. Sorry. Uh, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you how I surrendered. The way I surrendered was, um, I thought that I had two kind of core issues. I thought I had a love issue and a money issue. And then I took an Enneagram class and I realized, oh, for me, money is love. So then I realized, okay, I've just got a love issue, meaning I am not having an experience of unconditional love. And so this happened in uh, in the beginning of 2011. So this is after you know, sort of the radical awakening. I'd been sharing my gifts with people for a while. And actually at the beginning of 2011, I started attempting to make my living full-time as a spiritual healer, as a, as a spiritual messenger. And it was sort of interesting because although I had business while I was still originating loans in 2010, it wasn't quite crickets, but a lot of business went away. And I, part of it, looking back on it was that people would call me up and I'd be like, you love me. You really love me. And who the heck wants a healer that has that energy? (laughs) Okay. But you're asking, how did I surrender? So I started realizing that I am the source of my suffering. And, um, what I mean by that and what I meant then, but I still mean it today is that my efforts to control to create an experience of unconditional love are the actual cause of my suffering. And if I visualized it, what I saw was two things. One was a stop sign, me holding up a stop sign to God. I got this. You, you, you stop here. I'm, I'm going to, I got this covered. And the other one was like in, in a garden, 
the garden hose was kinking and the water, divine presence and grace, wasn't able to flow out of the hose because I thought I was in charge. And mind you, this is after having an experience of facilitating all these extraordinary experiences for people. So it wasn't like I didn't understand how or have a direct experience of divinity. I just still thought for whatever reason, I've got this part of my life covered. So I knew intellectually, but it wasn't embodied yet. The answer lies with divinity. And I am the cause of what's stopping that. So when I thought about surrendering and the way I visualized it was I'm driving the bus and then I get out of the seat consciously and walk to the back of the bus. And now God's going to drive this bus. And the first image was the bus careens over a cliff, crashes say, and explodes. Swerves into the forest and <laughs> blows up. <laughs> exactly. Into a cliff, whatever. So the first expression of that was, I'll be homeless. So then, because I had done Charles Honnell's exercise in visualization, I realized, okay, what if God wants me to be homeless? And then I wanted to say, no, God doesn't want me to be homeless. And then I realized I'm not surrendering to the God I know. I'm surrendering to the God I don't know. And the God I don't know might want me to be homeless. Because basically what I'm doing in surrender is saying, God, your will, not my will. Your will is all that matters. I will do as you say. I subordinate myself to your will. And for me, this was not a religious statement, by the way. So it wasn't like I was looking to the Bible for direction. This was a lived experience. You lead. I'm going to stop directing this show. So, okay, homeless. So I started visualizing myself as homeless. I spent a lot of energy on that. I feel like and in secret, they would say not to do that. They would. They absolutely would. And you know what I would say to them? And I've said to many audiences in the meantime, I was resisting being homeless. So if you want to think of it from that perspective, the thing you resist persists, right? Didn't Jung say that? So anyway, whatever. I visualized it. So I made myself homeless in my mind and I realized, okay, I got a problem because in Colorado it gets cold. So then I thought, okay, I've got a warm coat. I've got all the stuff. So now I'm making a list. Here's what I'm going to do when I become homeless. I'm going to make sure I have my coat, blah, blah, blah. I'm in Fort Collins. I'll be hungry. Da, da, da. I go through all these things. I'm surrendering all these things, but this isn't really the surrender. This is the preparing, right? So I'm homeless. God wants me homeless, but I've got warm clothes. I'll be hungry, but the places throw out their food every 24 hours off. I'll, I'll be fine. I'll dumpster dive. I'll have food. So I go through all of that and I get to the end of it. And what do I feel? I feel relief. <laughs> I feel relief. I feel like, ah, oh, if God wants me to be homeless, I'm on board with that. Mm -hmm. I can do that. So then I did that for every single thing. I'll never see my kids again. I'm going to die. I'm going to have to go dig ditches. I'm going to have to go back into banking. I'm going to become an itinerant healer, blah, blah, blah. I had a whole, there was a whole raft of things that my empowered separate self was projecting would happen if it wasn't in charge of driving the bus. And when I got to the end of those things, it was about the 20th of June, 2011. And I looked at my calendar and I went, next Thursday is the 30th of June. I'm going to surrender on the 30th. And I called up a friend and I said, I need you to witness me in my surrender. And 
Um, because I'm a recovering type A personality, I gave her a bunch of conditions. You can't intervene. It's possible I might die during this process, but you can't try to revive me because if God's calling me home, God, and I was, I was very serious. I made her promise. You will not intervene energetically, physically, any level. You're just going to sit there and be present. You're not going to interfere with anything. And then I did that. I sat down on the 30th of June. I drove out to her house, fortunately out in the country, no neighbors nearby, because I think it probably sounded like I was giving birth to a cow or something. It was incredibly painful physically. It was profoundly painful. I went through about three hours and I thought, oh, thank God I'm done with that. And then that was just a little pause. And then came the real hard stuff. And during that process, I was actively saying, okay, God, the driver's wheel is yours. Wherever you take me, I will go. And it was an extraordinary experience. It still moves me to think about it. I opened my eyes for the first time in maybe six hours, and I could see divinity moving energy, light through everything. Mm. Um, I could see consciousness in everything, in a blade of grass, in the tree. My friend made food. There was roast beef wraps or something. Every bite I took, it was like all the people and animals and insects and plants that were involved in their consciousness were blessing me and I was blessing them. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely profound. I didn't take any substances to facilitate the experience. I wasn't on, I didn't do anything. I just consciously let go of my life and said, all right, God, you're in charge. And that's what I did. The type A method to surrender, set your date, set your time, give your friends checklist, schedule it, (laughs) uh, set some boundaries, uh, you know, plan it out, make sure to hydrate. Um, (laughs) yeah, hydrated. But that's profound. Cause I have these clients that say that, like, I'm so type A, it's so hard to surrender. And I always say like, you, you still can, there's no, I know it feels difficult because you don't know another way, but set a date. Ken did it. (laughs) I'll direct him to this podcast. Um, but just all jokes aside, what a, what an incredible experience. And the thing about being homeless, like that's kind of fucking with my mind a bit in a, such a beautiful way, because as I said, like I've lived in pain, um, since Mm -hmm. I was about 12 and I've just recently had these thoughts. It's definitely going to make me emotional. Mm. If I'm meant to stay in pain, Mm. then so be it. And that's like a new thought. Beautiful. That is so beautiful. Because I know I can heal it. I can heal it. I know this is internalized trauma. I know this is past. I can heal this. And I'm like, but that's not actually surrendering. And so just lately, I've been like, I don't feel I need to stay in active pain because there's a lot of things I love to do, hike and move around and lift my kids up. And I don't believe I have to stay limited. But if that's my path for some reason, then I'm actually going to be okay with that and going to be okay with it because I'm inching closer and closer. When you said that, it was just like, oh, because we get so fixated that we can change this. And that's empowering for a brief amount of time. I can change this. But then we're so fixated on the changing that we're not happy until we see that we're changing it. And then we're right back in the original place. It just is in a slightly more spiritual dressed up suit. You know, it seems like it's spiritual, but no, I don't know what's spiritual really, but it seems like it's a more enlightened way to think. Yeah. 
but I've just been thinking about that because I've been so fixated on the fact that like, it's not going to be my story. And even though doctors say it will be, it's not going to be. And I know more and I know of the power of thought and nutrition and healing. And, but what if it is? What if it is? What if the thing you're most resisting is actually God's will? Yeah. I mean, to me, I mean, this is, this is right here. This is it for me right here. There is the freedom point. That is the departure into divine grace. When, when we as human beings confront the thing we are most afraid of and accept this may be divine will, this may be what is real and we can stop efforting for something else. Think of the most powerful river that you've ever seen in your life. Now you're out in the middle of the river and you're resisting the flow of the current. And there are branches. If it's strong enough, there are rocks being moved down this river and they're smashing into you. And you're thinking, this river moves the other direction but it's not. And when you surrender, you begin moving with it. Row, row, row your boat. And when you move with the river, you're no longer in resistance to it. You open up a profound flow state and it's possible nothing changes. But if you have let go of control, you have just liberated yourself and you can have an experience of being loved unconditionally just as you are. Not because you did something to earn it, but because you stopped trying to create it. It's already there. It's so amazing. I, I cannot even begin to acknowledge you for what you are bringing into this conversation and what you are doing with this example. I, I bow deeply to you, Talia. This is so beautiful. Thank you. I can't believe I get to be here with you for this, this conversation and all these people in your community listening to you reflect on this incredible awareness. It moves me deeply. Thank you. It's like a, when you said the point of freedom, it's like, it's such a fine edge of defeat and freedom because I hear a lot of people going, what, what? I don't want to be in pain. Like, what if that's God's will? Then what the fuck's the point? Right. But I feel you. I feel the freedom. Is there anything that you could say just in this moment? Because my people feel me deeply and they're feeling this moment the way that you are. If anybody's feeling that heaviness of like, what? Like, what if I never heal this? Because that is the fear. Right. Going into that, but resulting in freedom. How do you explain that? Well, if you think about it this way, Suffering is living in the gap between what is and what you want. 
-hmm. When you surrender, you close that gap to zero. You accept everything exactly as it is. And you do not suffer anymore. Have you heard the statement, suffering is optional, pain is not? Mm -hmm. What I believe is true is that suffering is optional and so is pain. The first step is to choose not to suffer anymore by letting go of control. And unfortunately, when pain is the thing that we're resisting as human beings, the only way I know how is to accept the possibility or even the likelihood because I can't let go of control if it's just a remote possibility. I actually have to make it God's will. That's how I surrender when I'm really resistant to something. It's mm. the truth. But here's another fact too, which is hard to conflate with all of this together. When we let go of control, something beyond our imagination begins to unfold. That's the point. Divinity is holding the entire container. The entire container. The entire container of your body, of your life, of the world, of the cosmos, everything. And it gets to express now in you, through you, as you, in ways you can't imagine. That's the point. You have a limited perspective. Divinity does not. <sighs> I like to say about this or something better as a helpful tool when people are really attached to what they think they want. They want a soulmate who's six foot or they want to make this much money. And I always say that like, you don't really know what you want. <laughs> we think that we do, but what is coming for you through this process of that surrender and that divinity is so much better, but totally different as you touched on a little bit ago. And that's sometimes what we, what I'm hearing in this moment, at least for me, is like, that's the part we have to let go of is like defining that this is what will be better for me. And it's like, maybe I'll be in pain, but maybe many other things are going to happen that are beyond my wildest dreams or whatever it is. It's like something better than you can imagine with your human mind. The way that they show me is like, we can only imagine from what we've seen in our life, what we've seen in the movies, what we've seen to be true. We can't imagine miracles beyond our wildest expectations. We couldn't, I always like to use the example, if you could plan your birthday party for maybe even the rest of your life, every present you're going to get, every decoration, every slice of cake, every everything, you would throw a bang and party, but you would never experience that surprise party or the person that got you the perfect gift or handmade you something that you couldn't have anticipated, or someone was listening when you said you needed something, but you wouldn't have thought to ask. Those are the things. And I'm what I'm hearing and what you're saying is like, when we surrender to what is, it's not just for the outcome of something better, but it's almost understanding that we will be taken care of in different ways than we could imagine. That's almost like it's hard to put it into words, but yes, what it feels like the thing I would say, and this is just a caution because we all do this our own way is that when I have held on to that better thing, I haven't been able to surrender. 
But when I've embraced the thing that I'm most afraid of as reality and made that God's will, I have been able to surrender. Mm. And so when I Mm. surrendered on June 30th, I surrendered on July 1st and July 2nd. Like it's, Mm. it's an every day, it's every moment. And actually in August of 2011, I was this close to homelessness. I was very, very close to homelessness, Mm. but I wasn't suffering at all. I had zero angst. I was in a state of damn near ecstasy all the time, believe it or not, because what I thought was, I I don't, I'm not in charge anymore. Like, this is great. I, I said to God, you lead, I follow you steer the bus. I'm there. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And so if homelessness was it, I'd already visualized all that. I got I know that what figured out. I got I'm my gonna checklist. <laughs> I'm going to go get my winter coat and I'm going to get my boots and I'm going to go down to that one bridge and I know where I'm going to go. And I, I got that covered. So I would just say, I mean, maybe I'm just talking to myself here. For me, when I'm holding out for something better, I'm still holding on to control. Mm. It's an attachment. When I let go of all attachment and I step into the unknown, the cloud of unknowing, when I skydive into a fog bank without a parachute on, jump head first and imagine there are rocks and I'm going to split open and die, but I accept, hey, there's divine will. Free fall after a while is so liberating. There's the liberation. It's not where I land that's the point. It's the liberation from all the attachment. That's the point. Mm, Yeah. Oh, this is such a good conversation. This is so important. And this is such a juicy thing for us to not just think about, but feel. And as you're saying, embody and really take it in and see what's here for you. Because um, I, I feel that with things like flying and car accidents and stuff. I'm just never scared. And I'll, and like my husband doesn't love flying and I'm like, Hey, if I'm meant to go down in a plane crash, then I guess that's my legacy. You know, it's the same with buddy Holly and all those other people that have gone down. Um, I, it's not that I want that. And I even say that to my kids, like, are you scared of dying? I'm like, not even at all. I want to be around for your life. I want to be around to see your kids. I want to live a thriving life, but if I'm meant to go down at 42, so be it. I actually have no weirdness about gripping on and staying here. My husband's like, I want to live and we're going to go out together at 111. I was like, (laughs) I don't even know if I want to be here that long. Like, I don't know if I'm thriving at 110, then sure. I'll see you at 111, but I don't have to, I'm not attached to this. So it's interesting just in my own journey and what I shared, I'm attached to healing less so in this conversation. And I'm going to continue to feel this, but I have been attached to that outcome of, I can heal this. Whereas other things I'm like, shit, if I go out next year, that's just, that's what my story was this time around. That's okay. So it's a very interesting thing. And I'm going to encourage everybody listening to really witness the places in your life that you have that trust and faith. So be it. If this is meant to happen, so be it. But then the places you don't, and is there a correlation in those places that you don't have that surrender and that that acceptance Mm. with your suffering? Are those the areas of life you suffer the most with? It's like good things to, to witness in our life. Beautiful. 
Wow. Thank you so much, Ken. I feel like this episode could end up being like four hours because there's so many things to talk about, but I thank you so much for this conversation and for going there and for your presence and for what you do. And I know that you don't feel like you're like, I don't have a gift anyone else has, but you have presence and you have the willingness and the openness to spread this message and hold space for people and speak what comes through you. And I just really acknowledge that human to human and and soul to soul. And I thank you so much for doing this work. Back at you. Thank you. It's such an honor to be with you. It's an honor to sit with you in your community and um, yeah, to walk with you in this conversation has been quite exquisite. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. So if somebody wants to find you, because I know they will after this, <laughs> where are the best places to get in contact with you or to take your program to just kind of, you know, get closer into your community? Where can we direct people? My website is kenwstone.com. I have a free 17-week class called Exploring Divine Resonance. It's a pretty robust program, totally free. You can go to exploringdivineresonance.com and just put your name and email address in. And I'd love to share that with anyone that's interested. And that's a great place to sort of take the next step and explore and experience at a deeper level and just see where it leads you. Thank you. Thank you. I will link all of those or those two links in the show notes below. And thanks again, Ken, for your time today, your impact. And I hope everybody goes over and discovers that course and finds Ken because this stuff is it's life-changing. It really is. Thank you so much, Talia. What an honor it is to be with you. And thank you for your work and your embodied expression. Beautiful to share time with you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode on the Awakening Her podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation between me and my guest. And if you did, we would love to hear from you. Come find us on Instagram. All the links are below in the show notes. Take a screenshot that you're listening to this episode, sharing your takeaways or your enthusiasm for the show. Tag us both over on Instagram. And if you do that, I will send you a free gift. I really do hope you enjoyed this conversation and I will see you in the next episode.